passage that often gets neglected uh, during the Easter season because John and Luke and even Matthew uh, are a little more attractive uh, for us to look at during this Easter season, but today we're going to look at Mark's neglected message. So let's listen to God's Word, this beautiful story written so lovingly and carefully and uh, uh, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, Mark 16 has been a, a problem passage for hundreds of years, at least from the second century, because Mark's gospel doesn't seem to have any resolution. It just leaves us hanging with no satisfying ending. So most translations include uh, a note about these verses. There are, there are other verses following verse 8, but most translations let us know that these verses were not originally part of, God, Mark, uh, part of Mark's gospel. So something like the, what the NIV says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. So you have to understand, every time you pick up an English translation of the Bible, you can thank not only the translators who worked so hard to translate from the Hebrew and Greek, but you can also thank the researchers who put together the best texts after cataloging and comparing, and here's the fill in the blank, 5,800 manuscripts. And those are just the Greek manuscripts. So these people worked very hard uh, to compare all these thousands of manuscripts so that we have virtually the same text as the original. And evidence shows that Mark's gospel ends at chapter 16, verse 8. But we want resolution. We don't like the way Mark leaves us hanging. Now, you know, composers of music, they know about resolution. Most songs have this resolution. They return to the, to the root chord, and they don't leave us hanging. But there are some songs that don't resolve. Um, when Olivia was a child, Olivia and Angel, we used to watch Sherry Lewis's public television show. And it used to go off the air with a song that went like this. Let me get my pitch. 
This is the song that doesn't end. It just goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever, just because this is the song that doesn't end. It just goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it. Well, now you've got it in your head, so you can just, you can just keep singing it. A song never resolves. It just keeps coming around again and again to the annoyance of the parents who uh, Sherry Lewis set up for, uh, for this uh, wonderful gift to the children. So Mark's gospel doesn't resolve. Jesus doesn't show up after his resurrection. And even though, and this happens, even though we know that Mark knows that Jesus rose from the dead. Mark tells how Salome, Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, watched Jesus die. The women saw Joseph of Arimathea come and wrap Jesus' body in a linen shroud. They saw that Jesus was put in a tomb cut out of stone. They saw the men roll this huge stone over the tomb. They saw Jesus' body was not fully prepared for burial. And that's why they brought spices early on Sunday morning. They wanted to complete the funeral. When the women got to Jesus' tomb, they were surprised to see that the stone was rolled away. This heavy stone was rolled away, and Jesus, his body, wasn't there. They were looking for a dead man, and he wasn't there. And a young man who was very much alive told them, told the women, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And Mark knew that Jesus had already told his followers uh, that he told them three times that he would rise from the dead. And Mark knew that Jesus told his disciples before he died that he would meet them back in Galilee after his resurrection. And Mark knew that everything happened exactly the way Jesus said it would happen. So why doesn't Mark's gospel have an ending? Why does he leave us hanging? There are at least four reasons why Mark's gospel leaves us hanging. And these are, you can fill in the blanks. Mark wants to focus our attention on Jesus' death, which is the climax of the story. Mark wants to emphasize the fact that all Jesus' followers failed him. Mark wants to encourage people to trust Jesus by the power of the cross. Not the resurrection, the cross. Marx wants to help a church that was afraid. So let's look at these reasons one at a time. Mark, his gospel doesn't have an ending because Mark wants to focus our attention on Jesus' death. That's the climax of his gospel. Looking at Mark 15 now, verses 33 to 39. From noon... Until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, look, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink, saying, let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. But Jesus 
let out a loud cry and died. The curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, who stood facing Jesus, saw how he died, he said, this man was certainly God's son. Now, all the New Testament writers urge us to focus our attention on Jesus' death. Jesus' death gives us what we need. The resurrection happened to prove that Jesus' death accomplished everything that Jesus set out to do. You see, Jesus' death removes that barrier that is between God and humankind. Jesus' death, when he died, that thick curtain in the temple sanctuary was torn from top to bottom. That thick curtain that was hanging there in the Jerusalem temple, in the inner room of the sanctuary. The barrier was there. The barrier was there because our lives are polluted. Our lives are polluted with things like our human foolishness, our constant hostility, our stubbornness, our greed. The huge curtain was there as a caution sign, a great big caution sign that said, do not come near to God with your polluted lives. The problem is that we need to come close to God. We need to come near to God because without God, our life is without hope. So you see, we know death will destroy everything. If we don't have God as our life giver, death will destroy everything. So remember, the religion of the temple was run by priests who mediated God's peace, that peace with God, for the chosen people. So the problem was, as Jesus knew full well, that the people who were not chosen got next to nothing. Jesus' death changed all that. Now, everyone in the whole world, no one's left out. We can all share in that peace with God. The, the curtain has been torn. The sanctuary is open. God is on the loose. Jesus' death removed the curtain. The barrier isn't there anymore. The caution sign isn't there anymore. Instead, Jesus is there. Instead of the curtain, Jesus is there, and God is with us. So Jesus' resurrection is not what removed the barrier. The barrier was removed when Jesus died. His death removes the barrier. Jesus took on all our misery. He gave himself over to our toxic hatred. So now he can give us his innocence. He takes our toxic hatred, gives us his innocence. He takes your foolishness, your greed, your pride, he gives you his innocence. You are clothed in what Jesus, only Jesus can give and only what Jesus has. So Mark didn't write an ending to his gospel because he wants us to keep coming back to the cross. Because the cross is the place where we find peace with God. The open tomb is not the way. The cross opens the way through the curtain so that we now have peace with God. So Mark 
doesn't end his gospel because Mark wants to emphasize that all of Jesus' followers failed him. You'll remember, now we're turning to Mark chapter 14. At that last Passover, Jesus had with his disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, you will all falter in your faithfulness to me. It is written, I will hit the shepherd and the sheep will go off in all directions, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if everyone else stumbles, I won't. But Jesus said to him, I assure you that on this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter insisted, if I must die alongside you, I won't deny you. And they all said the same thing. Well, Jesus was right. Peter was wrong. All of Jesus' disciples did fall away. The last thing Mark says in his gospel, chapter 16, verse uh, 8, the last thing we see is that even the women who saw the open tomb and heard the good news, Jesus is alive, even those women were dumbfounded. They were terrified. They were afraid. Mark wants to contrast the failure of all of Jesus' followers with another person who had faith, the amazing faith of the Roman centurion who stood at the cross. The climax of Mark's gospel is chapter 15, verse 39, when the centurion This man who was involved in crucifying Jesus, this centurion who stood facing Jesus, saw how he died. He said, this man was certainly God's son. So Mark didn't write an ending to his gospel because he wants us to keep coming back to the cross to see the first person, the curtain was torn, the way is open, and the first person to enter in through the open way, to find peace with God, the first person is not one of God's people. The first person is not a chosen person. The first person is not one of the 12. The first person is not one of the women. But the centurion, one of their enemies, the enemy, the despised Roman soldier, is the first person to enter through the open way into peace with God. While bold Peter is off weeping because he denied his Lord. Peter said, who said, I'll stand by you no matter what. While he's off weeping, a Roman soldier who helped execute Jesus, he's standing by the cross confessing Jesus to be God's son. The Roman soldier comes out of nowhere. As far as we know, he had not heard Jesus teach. As far as we know, he had not seen Jesus heal or force out demons. The thing this Roman soldier knows about Jesus, the thing that he saw was the way Jesus died. He saw Jesus die. Mark wants you to know that you don't need to see Jesus risen from the dead in order to put your trust in him. First of all, all you need to know is how Jesus died for you. The faith of the centurion, this centurion who saw Jesus die, his faith at this moment is greater 
than the faith of all those who had seen everything, including the open tomb. Mark didn't write an ending to his gospel because Mark wants to help a church, the church in his day, and probably the church in our day, a church that was and is afraid. Have you ever failed Jesus? So did all his first followers, every single one. Have you ever been afraid when people oppose your trust in Jesus? The same thing happened to all of Jesus' first followers, but Jesus didn't give up on them. Jesus didn't give up on the people who failed him. Mark's message isn't just for outsiders like the Roman centurion. Mark's message Mark's message is for the people who knew Jesus and still failed him. Mark's message is for people who know Jesus and still feel afraid. People who know Jesus and still can't speak up for him. The young man dressed in white waited at the open tomb to deliver this message. Tell my disciples, and especially Peter, that I will meet them in Galilee. Now, Jesus' followers knew what that meant. Jesus was saying, friends, we're going back to where we began. We're going to start over. We're going back to the beginning. I sent you out from Galilee. I'm going to send you out from Galilee again. I'm starting over, and not with different people, but I'm starting over with the same people, the same people who never understood me, the same people who failed me because you were afraid. There's no ending to the story of Jesus because his story is a story of new beginnings. This is the story that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friends. Some people started telling it, not knowing what it was, and they'll continue telling it forever just because this is the story that never ends. It just goes on and on, my friends. Some people started telling it, not knowing what it was, and they'll continue telling it forever. You can be part of the story. That's Mark's point. Actually, all the gospel writers do this. When a story leaves me hanging, when a story leaves you hanging, I want, I'm longing to hear the rest of the story. Do you get that longing to hear the rest of the story? Your story is the rest of the story. Our story is the rest of the story. If you long to hear the rest of the story, then follow Jesus and you'll find out what happens next. The rest of the story gets told as you follow Jesus. Why were the women afraid when the angel announced Jesus is alive? Because if Jesus is alive, if the tomb is empty, if the curtain is torn, we have no idea what's going to happen next. Anything could happen. And that's what we're ready for. Mark wants us to be ready for our lives to be transformed. Anything could happen. God can do anything with your life. So you become part of the story, and he looks at you, 
in spite of how you might be afraid or how you might have failed, he looks at you and says, join me. Let's keep going back to Galilee. No matter how many times we have to start over, we will finish the story together. The story, well, we'll find out as we celebrate communion, even the great feast of the Lamb will never end. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you, and again, we're thankful for all the ways that you are with us in your word and among your people. And we come to bow before you, and Jesus, we're so grateful for your patience and your loving kindness. We're so grateful for the honesty of the biblical writers that they were not afraid to tell the truth about their doubts and their failures. They were not afraid to be humble and raise up Jesus as the one who makes us and recreates us and makes us what God wants us to be. God, thank you for always having hope, always keeping alive the vision that we can be created and be recreated into your image and to represent you, to represent the Lord Jesus in this world today. We thank you as we come, Lord, humbly confessing our failures and our sin, thanking you for your forgiveness as we come to your table. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting us here, that we can be with you forever. And this table is just a foretaste of all those meals you ate with your disciples and the promise of the feast of the Lamb that will never end. We're thankful we can be part of this today as we come before you rejoicing in your mercy, your love, and your forgiveness. And we can join together in the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.